Hi, it's Eric again. If it feels like I'm always asking you for money, it's because I'm always asking you for money. That's because producing a high-quality podcast like Making Gay History costs a lot. Between ten dollars and $20,000 for each episode, for the audio and all the extra resources and archival photos you'll find on our website. One way to help us keep bringing LGBTQ history to life through the voices of the people who lived it is to join our Patreon community, $5 a month or $60 a year. And for that, you get a front row seat to my interviews with present-day history makers, behind-the-scenes production conversations, and delicious clips from my archive that we couldn't include in regular episodes. Right now, we have 200 Patreon followers. That's just a fraction of our many thousands of listeners. Can you help us double that by the 55th anniversary of Stonewall this coming Pride Month? We can't do what we do without all our supporters. And if you aren't one already, I hope you will be soon. Or, if you are already, get one of your friends to sign up to join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash makinggayhistory. That's patreon.com slash makinggayhistory. Or just go to makinggayhistory.com and hit the Patreon subscription button on our homepage. Thanks so much. Now, on to the episode you've chosen to hear. Hello? Hello? What time is it where you are? Right here, right now, as we release this mini-sode, it's 1.20 a.m. on Friday, June 28th, 2019. It's exactly 50 years since the police raided the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village. Exactly 50 years since hundreds of people fought back on Christopher Street. Exactly 50 years since gay power erupted as an affirmation and a demand for a new generation of queer activists. And we're marking this moment by releasing first-hand accounts of the raid, the riots, and the struggle for liberation that followed. I hope you'll take these voices with you as you celebrate Pride this weekend and beyond, and remember those who came before us. I'm Eric Marcus. This is Making Gay History, and we're able to bring you these extra minisodes thanks to the generous support of Christopher Street Financial. Since 1981, Christopher Street Financial has been helping members of the LGBTQ community make their important life and wealth decisions. In the first few years right after the Stonewall Uprising, Morty Manford became a leader in the gay civil rights movement in New York City. As president of the Gay Activist Alliance and co-founder with his mother, Jean Manford, of PFLAG, an organization for the families of gay people. But on June 28, 1969, Morty was a 19-year-old student at Columbia University who was still struggling with his gay identity when the police swept into the Stonewall Inn and the raid was on. I was inside and I was a patron. You know, I had um, found that to be my favorite place. Mm -hmm. it, it was a very eclectic crowd, which was one of the nice things about it. The place itself was pretty much of a dive, pretty shabby, and the glasses weren't particularly clean right. when they served you a drink and they were watered-down drinks. But they had some lights in the back, uh, on the dance floor area, and there was a jukebox. There was a back room area, which in those days meant there was another bar back there and, and tables where people sat, and just like a you know separate little atmosphere. Some very uh, officious-looking men in suits and ties entered the place and uh, walked about a little bit, and then whispers went around that the place was being raided. 
Suddenly, um, the lights were turned up, the doors were sealed, and all of the patrons were held captive until the police and the federal agents decided what they were going to do. Uh, the patrons included every type of person. There were some transvestites, a lot of students, young people, older people, businessmen. Mm -hmm. It was everybody. Mm -hmm. It really was an interesting person. I mean, I, I have, I had friends, you know, that I met there regularly. So were you frightened about the raid? I was anxious. Everybody was anxious, mm -hmm. not knowing whether we were going to be arrested or what was happening next. Mm -hmm. It was a nervous mood that mm -hmm. set over the place. And um, then you were ushered outside? We were told that we had to line up and our identification would be checked before we would be freed. People who did not have identification or people who were underage and uh, transvestites uh, as a, uh, a whole group were being detained. And those people who didn't meet their standards were incarcerated temporarily in the coat room. <laughs> they were put in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> little, little did the police know the ironic symbolism of that. Uh -huh. But they found out fast. How so? Well, as people were released, they didn't run away and escape the experience completely. They stayed outside, they awaited the release of their friends. People who were walking up and down Christopher Street, which was at that time a very busy cruising area and social strip, uh, also assembled. And mm -hmm. the crowd in front of the stone wall grew and grew. I was there, I stayed mm -hmm. to watch. Some of, of the gays coming out of the bar would take a bow and their friends would cheer when they came out. And uh, it, it was a colorful thing. There were lesbians there too. I don't recall any women, frankly, mm -hmm. if there were. Uh, and there were occasionally only a very few who, mm -hmm. who came into the bar. It was mostly men. You had no plans to riot, though, while you were standing outside. That was not on your mind. No. No, and I, I, I personally didn't riot. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was there, but um, the tension started to grow, and after everybody who was going to be released was released, the prisoners were herded into a paddy wagon parked right on the sidewalk in front of the bar, and... Um, they were uh, left unguarded by the local police, and they simply walked out and, and left the paddy wagon to the cheer of the throng. Were these mostly transvestites? Well, or a mixture? There were transvestites there. There were, uh, there were uh, bar personnel, mm -hmm. bartenders, the bouncers. Once all of... Uh, the people were out, and the prisoners uh, went on their merry ways. The crowd stayed. Somebody in the crowd started throwing pennies, or some people in the crowd threw pennies at the front of the stone wall. Uh, the stone wall had a couple great big plate glass windows in the front. Uh, they were painted black. From the in on the inside, it was painted black. After the pennies, one. Uh, 
one person uh, apparently threw a rock, which broke one of the windows on the second floor. And the shattering of glass, uh, the crowd sort of, ooh. <laughs> it was a, a dramatic gesture of defiance. Mm -hmm. Did you share that feeling then? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we had just been kicked and punched around uh, symbolically by the police. I had felt that all along, indirectly. Mm. For me, there was a, a slight lancing of the festering wound mm -hmm. of anger at this kind of unfair harassment and prejudice. They weren't doing this to, at heterosexual bars. And it's not my fault that the local bar is run by organized crime um, and, and uh, is taking payoffs and doesn't have a liquor license. It's the only kind of bars that uh, were uh, permitted to serve a gay clientele because of the system of official discrimination by the state liquor authority and the corruption of the local police authorities. Mm -hmm. None of that was my doing. I wanted a place where I could meet other people who were also gay. And it escalated. Uh, a few more rocks went, and then somebody from inside the bar opened the door, and uh, their arm was reaching out with a gun, telling people to stay back. Uh, next, somebody took a, uh, an uprooted parking meter and went and broke the um, glass in the front window and the plywood board that was behind it, and then somebody else or other people took a garbage can, set it on fire, one of those wire mesh sanitation mm -hmm. uh, department uh, garbage containers and, and, and threw the burning garbage into, uh, into the premises. They had a fire always inside. Apparently they used it. It was, it was a very small trash mm -hmm. fire. They uh, then opened the front door and turned the hose on the crowd to try to keep people at a distance. And then the riot erupted. Apparently the, a fire engine had been summoned and the fire engine started coming down the block and then the police started to arrive and force the crowd you know they came down the street in their wedge lines the phalanx of blue um, with riot gear or they were just yeah no they had their riot gear on in those days new york city uh, police had a guerrilla-prone cadre uh, of their ranks known as the Tactical Police Force. The TPF. TPF. And uh, that's who came. Uh, who, who knows whether, whether this thing would have escalated beyond that had they, they not come in. The way they then started chasing after people and hitting people with their billy clubs I think that may have made it greater than it was. Nevertheless, I mean, the fact is, I mean, gay people had already stood up and rebelled initially with a symbolic toss of a coin. Well, I, you were watching. I was watching. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't looking for a fight, but it was a very emotional um, turning point for me. And um, yeah, once they started attacking people and forcing people onto the side streets, trying to divide. I stayed a little bit. I tried to get out of the way and, you know, talk to people. I saw some windows in the neighborhood. People were breaking windows and saw a little bit of that. But uh, I 
didn't stay too much longer. I did return the next night, though, just to see what had, what was going on, because the riot was continuing. Have you ever seen anything like that before? First time I'd ever seen something like that. Did the police respond to the shock you? Because you said there was an emotional change for you. Well, I think the, the emotional change was those minutes uh, in front of the Stonewall when this mass of, of gay people, and, and, and ultimately there were probably a couple hundred people standing in front of the bar in this crowd, uh, acted in defiance. Mm -hmm. I mean, psychologically, I, I was all with the, this spirit, not quite knowing or being able to articulate what it was about that was going on that made me feel so a part of it. This festering wound, uh, the anger of uh, oppression and discrimination, I think was coming out very fast at the point of Stonewall. Morty Manford took time off from college to devote all his energy to the movement, but later went back to school and got his law degree. He was an assistant New York State Attorney General when he died of complications from AIDS on May 14, 1992. He was 41 years old. Making Gay History is made possible by support from the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation, the Calamus Foundation, Andra and Irwin Press, and Christopher Street Financial, Learn more about Christopher Street Financial at ChristopherStreet.com. This podcast is produced thanks to an incredible team of hardworking professionals. You'll find them listed at MakingGayHistory.com. That's where you'll also find full transcripts, archival photos, and extensive additional resources that come with all our episodes. <laughs>